Welcome everybody to this week's Clean Leather Baseball Podcast. I'm Mike Olshin. Kevin Schneider is uh, away this week, but we are here with a fantastic guest. We uh, kind of hit the national stage here and, and bring in um, our, our friend Mike Rooney, uh, ESPN and uh, uh, college baseball premier analyst, uh, D1Baseball.com, um, former player himself at Notre Dame, uh, longtime coach at Arizona State, assistant coach, and uh, Rooney's welcome. Thanks, Olsh. I, I don't know about premier analysts, but I'll say definitely college baseball's baseball's baldest analysts. So for, the, for that, I definitely am winning. No uh, question. My, my hairline is getting close, so, so we're, <laughs> we're good on it. I, I just bring people in where I, I my mind is a little bit better. That's, that's, that's right. That's right. Well done. <laughs> um, so it's always college baseball season as far as I'm concerned. Sure. Um, you know, it's not the spring yet, but we've got fall ball. We, we just uh, finished the a great summer season with our ACBL teams. Uh, but let's, uh, let's, let's talk about what you get to do, um, you know, since your coaching career, um, you know, what are you doing now? Uh, you know, what, what's the ESPN assignment entail and, um, you know, some of the other things that you get to do to, to bring this game that, that we both care a lot about to, uh, to America. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's funny, you know, it's just funny how life works, right, Olsh? I mean, I just, like, my dream was to be a Division One college baseball coach, like a head coach, and, you know, like, I, like, I played for Pat Murphy, and, you know, you know, Murph has this huge reputation, and he was, like, the Bobby Knight back in the day, and I thought I would be Coach K, right, like, I would be version (laughs) 2.0, and then, yeah, just, um, ironically, being from the Philly area, I think, is part of what, what um how i ended up in a broadcasting version of college baseball but yeah it's so the espn stuff has been an incredible blessing right you know it it was i would go talk to people about college baseball for free let alone to get paid to do it and you know now of course it's very seasonal you know last year my first game was in february but typically your first game is end of march and then you know you go through the college world series and then you know i i i jumped on with uh, D1 baseball last October. So almost a year right now. And that's been awesome. You know, Aaron Fit and Kendall Rogers have been longtime friends. Job they do. Yeah. Oh, they're, they're incredible. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, getting to, it's just another way to stay involved, you know, getting to call coaches and write about teams and podcasts yep. and stuff like that. It's been, um, you know, I, I still, I still have a real, real day job and all that stuff, but it's, you know, as far as my college baseball hobby, those are two really cool homes as far as getting to stay involved in the game. So you wanted to be the coach K 2.0, but you end up being the Dick Vitale 2.0. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. No, yeah. Knock off Dick Vitale. That's right. Yeah. That's, exact, that's a great analogy. It's, and it's amazing how few people know that he was a coach. He was right. A, you know, in and, the and NBA even. Yeah. College and NBA crazy yeah, right yeah, yeah that's right and and imagine him coaching in the nba now it's it's just uh but but you know looking ahead then to 2022 um unprecedented time really for a couple of reasons as far as well i shouldn't say unprecedented but certainly in recent times as far as the talent in in college baseball uh you know, one thing that that covid brought upon college baseball is just more talent for a longer period of time Right. Uh, but if you had to, uh, 
you know, again, we're, we're five months before the season starts, but, but give us a couple of teams that are, everybody can, you know, I could sit here and say Vanderbilt and you go down the SEC and, you know, I say, oh, I got six out of the, you know, the, the, the Omaha teams, right. This far before the season. Right. Yeah. A couple of teams that maybe are a step below that, that could get to Omaha if things break well, but, but wouldn't be like, you know, what the common, you know, give us that, that kind of one step below um, sleeper teams that, that, you know, for whatever reason, kind of are on your radar right now for, for 2022. Yeah. And I would say also I'll comment on the talent part. I mean, it is a really exciting time in college baseball when you think about, um, you know, Hey, youth baseball just keeps growing and growing travel baseball. And I think the players, have more repetitions than they did 25 years ago, clearly. And then you think about, you know, Rob Manfred, obviously he receives a lot of criticism, but one thing that I would say is a real positive from where you and I sit is, you know, Rob Manfred has looked at the number of high school players that sign professional contracts and, and has just, and now of course I'm speaking for him, but he's basically said that, that that's a mistake. Like th this is, you know, if you think about pre pandemic, those previous five years, we were averaging about 140 high school players signing pro contracts per year. And then, you know, you go back 10, 15 years, it was upwards about 200. And, right. you know, think, think about that compared to football and basketball. Football, clearly the answer, the number is zero. Basketball, it's also zero because they have to go to. So, you know, like, I, I don't know, I'm super biased towards college baseball. But if you told me, hey, there are 25 high school kids in America that are ready for the rigors of minor league baseball. I could buy that. I, I'd be even okay with 50, but 150, you know, 140, no way, you know, like those are. So anyway, I, but, but I love that every family gets to make their own decision, but, but here's the, the point I'm trying to get to is two years ago with the pandemic shortened draft, we only had about 65 high school players signed pro contracts last year we had 90 and I do think the 2021 draft is a better is is probably a more real, realistic model for what we're you know what we're headed towards and so you know that that just pushes more talent to college baseball and and the the, the pandemic there's just less opportunities in professional baseball so I think that helps the college game now your question was about teams that um that I that I'm start that have started to pique my interest for 2022. Yeah, I think my usual throw three questions into one. It's and, uh... great. I love it. <laughs> yes, yeah. So I would say, you know, in the non-obvious ones, you know, I I'll tell you if if we're going to be northeast centric, a yeah. program that really is interesting to me is Connecticut. You know, now I thought they were they had a chance to do some damage last year. And they just they did not play well in the Notre Dame regional and the South Bend regional. Right. Now, Notre Dame was just, you know, incredible in that regional. Yeah. So that probably had more to do with. But I, I, Connecticut continues. They, they got banged up on the draft in the draft a little bit, but they've right. done a great job with transfers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's a program that is top of mind for me. Trying to think Crawford, of it. Reggie Crawford, just a highlight film by himself. Seriously. Yeah. And, and he's from Scranton Wilkes-Barre, right? I think yeah. he's from that area. Locally. Yeah. yeah. We, we, we stretch the boundary on New Jersey sometimes to take in. Guys. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, I was, somebody was talking about Richie Crawford recently and I was, and I, and I didn't realize he was from Scranton Wilkes-Barre and I was thinking, man, I, please be from the Eastern part of the, the state. I need him to be an Eagles fan. And then, but you know, Scranton Wilkes-Barre, those kids yeah. tend to be New York. Yeah. Fans. You know, like they're, they're, they're not that close to Philly. So um, yeah, I would say 
I would say, you know, right now we're starting to get recruiting questionnaires back in where you're figuring out, okay, who came to campus. I'll give you another team that's under the radar. I wouldn't say they're like an Omaha sleeper, but, you know, Wake Forest is a team that 2017, they went to game three of a super regional, lost to Florida, who won, won the whole thing. And then they've just really struggled the last couple of years. And they had a really, really terrible year for their standards last year. But man, they did it. They, they, they had a great draft. Uh, yeah. And so they're, they're really interesting. Um, but I would say, you know, it, it's, it's right now is, is, is interesting. You know, like we're, we're still, kids are just getting on campus. We're just starting to hear about false scrimmages. And it's, uh, I, I feel like right the next three months is when we're starting to, to we're starting to figure out like, okay, who are these teams? Who, who is, who are, but I'll, 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 I'll put a punctuation on it with this also. It really is wide open. I think there's a lot of years like going into last year, Florida was the unanimous number one and, and it was a non-conversation. Now it didn't turn out that way clearly, but right. this year, you know, like Texas is there, there's, there's some obvious strength on that roster, but I feel like we're up, we're in for a really wide open year in college baseball in 2022. And that, and that just makes it that much better. Right. I mean, the, no, no doubt predict the predictability or the, the regionality, if I I'm probably making up a word with that, you know, just, especially up here in the Northeast, you know, I, I feel like it's, it's such a Southern sport um, or Western, right. Or, or Southwestern where you are um, that, that people maybe have, have slept on. I mean, New Jersey is a great baseball state, as you know, um, usually it's the high school talent, but you know, to, I, I guess, you know, programs like, like Rutgers should be back on the rise this year. Uh, you know, uh, Ryder had a great story beating Fairfield to, to win the Mac last year fair, after Fairfield made the top 25. Mm -hmm. um, and NJIT, there's another one that, that just, uh, you know, from, from the, the, the literally almost nothing that we remember when we were younger, you know, to, to struggling through, through a bunch of no-name conferences that don't even exist anymore, then kind of being misplaced in the A-Sun for a couple of years, and now mm -hmm. we're the really should be up in the American East. Um, you know, what a great story they were, they were last year to, to win that conference, to, to play a great regional in, in Fayetteville and, and get Jersey's first win in 10 years. Yeah. And I would say, you know, guys, there's so much to that question. I would say also the first thing is there are a couple things out there that I think the cold weather schools, it will, it will, it could potentially help them. For instance, the one-time transfer rule, I, I know the mid-majors are, are anxious about that because, you know, uh, look at John. I'm mean, now Hartford's going to Division three, but John Thrasher, you know, is the American East player of the year. And now he's going to Kentucky. There, there is going to be that. There's going to be the pilfering of, of good players. But I also think that, hey, it, it, the, the baseball in New Jersey, the state of New Jersey has been good for a long, long time. But the problem is for for Rutgers and NJIT and Ryder is those kids are going south, right? They're going to Virginia, they're going to Vanderbilt, they're going to North Carolina, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, now with the one-time transfer rule, which is the way it was 20 years ago, those kids can come back and Steve Owens can put those kids into a, Rod, a Rutgers lineup right away. They don't have to go to junior college for a year and then see what happens. So I think that will help those guys. You know, I, I wrote recently, there, there's an idea called 32 hosts, which would change the way we do the NCAA tournament a little bit. I think that would help the cold weather schools a lot where they'd get a chance to host in the postseason or they'd have more of a chance to do it. But I would say the three programs you mentioned, 
if if Rutgers baseball was a stock, I would be buying all of it right now. Like I am, I am all in on Steve Owens. This guy has won everywhere. Uh, Yeah. I think that was a perfect hire for those guys. We know Rutgers can be very, very good in baseball. We've seen it. uh, And and not too long ago when they were in the big East and Hey, I mean, it's easy to forget Rutgers last year swept Nebraska who turned out to be, you know, Nebraska is another team that gave Mm -hmm. um, Arkansas all they could handle. No question. Yeah. And, and, and JIT, you know, that was a really cool story. Now, I am biased there. Robbie McClellan, their head coach, he was – I recruited him. He was our guy at Arizona State. He's from southwest Kansas, a really small town called Liberal, Kansas. Pitched in junior college. We brought him to Arizona State. He was outstanding. Um, and then started his coaching career. He coached junior college baseball out here. And um, and so to see Robbie and and what NJIT did – hey, and, and you probably watched it all – I mean, they were a nightmare for Arkansas in game yeah. one of that regional. And I, I'm telling you, th- this may be me kind of getting over my skis, but I felt like what NJIT did really pressing Nebraska, I mean, uh, Arkansas, where Arkansas had to go to Kevin Copps in like the fourth inning of that NJIT. Yeah. And so, and Nebraska never, Arkansas never got right in the postseason. You know, like they just kind of wobbled. You know, Nebraska really pressed them in that regional they at the end. Game, yeah. yeah. So, and then it was cool to see Dr. Barry Davis and Ryder get in the tournament. And so, yeah, I, I, I it, hey, if, if, New, if the New Jersey colleges can keep more of the New Jersey players from going south or get them on their way back north, if maybe it doesn't work out going south, I, I think those teams will just continue to improve. And we, we forgot the, the team that really was the, had the lock on, on, great players in the area when when you were playing is Heaton Hall yeah you know I mean that, that's another you know they've got that North Jersey with and and a shepherd has been there for forever in charge of that program um but you know probably not the days of of being able to have Mo Vaughn and Craig Biggio and guys like that anymore no but you know that's another team that with in, in the Big East that hopefully can give UConn a run for the money this year yeah. And, you know, the Big East is a really underrated league in baseball and especially with UConn coming back in there. I mean, th- this is crazy. UConn has been to the NCAA tournament seven of the last 11 years. And so, you know, that, that's just a dynamite program. And then Creighton's an excellent program. You know, St. John's clearly is an, a, mm-hmm. you know, a team that's been in a super regional in the last 10 years. And so, um, yeah, I mean, Villanova the last couple of years is, has been much improved. So yep. I, I agree. Seton Hall's got a really good tradition. And, and, and again, I think I, I, the one-time transfer, we'll see how it plays out. I really do think that's going to help some of those schools with the kids coming back North after they've tried playing college baseball in the South. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's, I think that's a hidden benefit or a hidden uh, you know, thing that people hadn't really considered. Um, you know, you get the kind of law of unintended consequences coming in. And yeah, and hopefully that's that's a big one because you see the schools that can have taken advantage of that have done have have done very well. Um, any urge or feeling on your part to ever get back into coaching? Or are you pretty much happy with uh, with where you are now? Yeah, I mean, I would say I love what I'm doing. Right. And it's it's. um so, so first of all, you always miss coaching, right? Like the, the thing about coaching is like the relationships you have with your players, the just constant conversations with other coaches. Like, of course I miss that 
dearly, right? Like that, that is what it's all about. It, it, and so that part I will always miss, but I'll tell you what I don't miss is I don't miss the lifestyle of coaches because it's, it's hard, you know, like, especially if you're a college coach, um, recruiting is, you know, really wild. I mean, it's, it's 24 seven without exaggeration. I mean, you just, there, there's there, the recruiting never stops. And then, you know, even, you know, high school coaching was, was super fun. Maybe the most fun I've ever had in coaching, but being a high school coach has never been harder. And so yeah. I, you know, I've, I've always said, even when I was coaching, my dream job was be a division three head coach and then be a manager in the Cape Cod. Like that would be the perfect mix of have a job that promotes sanity and then go somewhere in the summer and coach those, you know, big leaguers. But I would say, I would say this may sound a little corny, Olsh, but you know, sometimes I think just God intercepts and just says, Hey, like, I know this is what you think you want to do, but this is where, this is what I need you to do. And so I, I do feel called to do what I'm doing in college baseball. Like I, 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 I miss coaching, but getting to be kind of a mouthpiece for college baseball, I think mm-hmm. suits me and, and it's been really fulfilling. And, um, and it, it, so much so that I don't, I'm certainly not up at night, you know, thinking about how do I get back into coaching or I miss coaching this much. I, I feel really fulfilled and, and I, I love what I'm doing right now. If you ever get tired of that Arizona weather, we can, we can bring you back and <laughs> some ACBL spots for you. If you're interested. We, uh, there you go. Hey, if, if it, every summer I, I sneak back to Seattle city to see my family they, they go, they go to Seattle for two weeks. So Anything that gets me back closer to Seattle City, count me in. That's right. That's right. Now, now two directions from that that last thing you said and uh, the last the last part. But but first of all, um, you know, recruiting obviously is is has probably has never been crazier. You know, mm-hmm. as, as crazy as I'm sure it was for you as an assistant coach. You know, now you know just uh, reading you, you had a great three part series in at d1baseball.com anybody who hasn't seen it should get over and click on that after they're done watching this of course of course uh, yeah but but the the one that really hit me and and I've talked about it here with with Kevin is you know the recruiting um piece and the recruiting calendar and and just the whole concept of you know it, it's nice that that coaches can't establish you know or initiate contact with the player until September 1st of their their junior year but you know you look at the top 500 and probably 75 percent of them are magically committed by that point you know and again commitment doesn't mean anything because it's a verbal but you know just I guess from a coach's perspective also from a uh, you know outsider's perspective how ridiculous is it that I mean obviously it's running through the the travel programs and 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 third parties but you know, to put so much time into recruiting ninth graders that haven't even begun really their high school career in that development, you know, how, A, how ridiculous is that? And B, how often does that lead to, you know, either mismatch on skills or or mismatch on fit personality or, or what happens when the coach leaves? Yeah, I would say, yeah, I would say, gosh, there's so many layers to this whole shit. It's like, you know, 20 years ago when I was at Arizona State, we you know, the rules were similar, but it was just a different marketplace. And so we didn't have any contact with these players outside of if they came to a camp until July 1st before their senior year of high school. And I'm telling you, even recruiting back then, where you're basically recruiting one grade at a time, it was super stressful. I mean, you yeah. you, you know, it, it was, it, it kept you up at night. It was, now these coaches 
are recruiting five grades at once. And, you know, think about it. Like we have more than 30 players in the class of 2025 that have already verbally committed to a college. Yeah, those yeah, kids. First month, high, first month of ninth grade right now. Yeah, one of those kids, and I, I'm going to use Stanford. I'm not being critical of Stanford. Remember, this is nobody's fault, per se. Right. Like, if other coaches are going to be talking to these players, you'd be a fool not to jump in there, right? Like, you, yeah. being last is not a good strategy. No, people so, like people like having jobs in general. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But think about this. Stanford, one of the finest institutions in the world, has a 2025 verbal commit. This kid is committed to Stanford University. He does not have a grade in high school yet. He hasn't even, he has no grade for his high school career. And we already know he's going to Stanford. I mean, so, so I think there, what happened, I'm not a believer in overregulation because the problem, and this is the problem the NCAA's gotten themselves into, they have all these stupid rules and then you got to spend all these resources enforcing them enforcing and then you, them. and then you've got to adjust them. And so I would like simpler rules and, and, and let's just keep the main thing, the main thing. But, you know, I, this is kind of how I posed my column is, okay, let's, let's, let's try to be objective about this system. Let's just look at all the different people involved and, and there's gotta be somebody that it's working for. Right. Well, let's think about the families. Is it good? I, I don't have children, but I, you know, I, is it good that a 14 year old or a 15 year old is being asked to make a college choice? You know, is that an ideal age to make a college choice? No. Of, you know, right. I'm, it's, I'm leading the witness, right. But no, of course not. Right. It's a, those, they, and, uh, they, you may not have kids, but you were 14 and you played college baseball and you knew that wasn't the right time. to Right. Decide. Right. And so think about now the college coach, like, is this good for the college coach? Like is 15 years old, the ideal time to make a mental and baseball evaluation of a kid? Of course not. You know, do coaches like talking to 15 year olds? Of course not. You know, and, and think about, I, I heard a story recently about um you know a, a coach a, a college coach prominent d1 coach omaha caliber program where they had two players in for an unofficial visit one player was 14 the other player was 20 because he was a junior college recruit <laughs> so and, and they had to schedule the whole weekend to make sure these two kids did not meet each other because right. could you imagine like they have zero in common and right. so the poor college coaches are just throwing darts they're, you know, recruiting one grade at a time is super stressful. I can't even imagine recruiting five grades at a time. Um, you know, you're getting these verbal agreements and, you know, and, and the whole thing boils down to this, Olsh, is we have loopholes in the rule. The biggest one is the, the coach can't call the recruit, but the recruit can call the coach. We have these arranged phone calls. So what I proposed is we, we go to softball. Softball, their early recruiting was even more ludicrous than ours is right now because, they have basically full scholarships to offer. The the girls mature so much more quickly. Sure. Yeah, and there's no draft. So when you sign them, you sign them, right? And right. so theirs was completely out of control. And so they took a they they did a hard stop and and they did it in 2018. That's the that's the biggest point to me, Olsh, is it's not like the softball system is brand new and we're hoping that it's working for them. I mean, we're basically four years into their new system and it's working. And so I don't know. I, I just I think we've got a system that doesn't work. It's going to take some courage to change it. Um, there's always fear. And, and you mentioned the law of unintended consequences. We always have to be aware of that. 
but I, I just think our system right now, I, I, here, here's the reason I'm most passionate about it, Olsh, is I just think it's a, I think it's a black eye for our sport. You know, athletic directors, the athletic directors have kids and they have 14 and 15 year old kids and they look at us and they think, what are you doing? What, yeah. what, what, this is not, you know, this is not right and that you keep doing it. And so, yeah, I'm passionate about that. I think it's a, I think we're making a big mistake if we stay on this road. Yeah, I think it helps the game to, to correct. And I think what you suggested is really about the only logical way to go from, from here. And, mm -hmm. and, I, and I don't think you'll get resistance from coaches. You know. Certainly not assistant coaches, the assistant yeah. coaches that That's are, right. you know, now, now, again, I like in fairness to the head coaches, you know, if you're a head coach right now, whose program is really humming, you know, you mentioned yeah. it like the, those guys want to keep their jobs. And so any change, right. Is, you know, is nerve wracking, but, but, but again, we can look at softball and five years ago when they were recruiting seventh graders, Oklahoma was awesome. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't, I don't see any big shift in, in power over the last four years. No, no, no. And you know what, you know what the truth is? The big schools are going to get the best players right. if they, if they continue to put the work in and, and they right. are. So yeah, I just, I think it's, um, it, I, I get that change is scary, but uh, you know, sometimes you just got to kind of take a deep breath and go for it. You mentioned you really have a chance to kind of do your dream job and, and, and be a mouthpiece for, for college baseball and the, the great game that it is to, to America. Um, you get to, you know, the weekend of the uh, super re or not super re regionals weekend of the NCAA tournament, you get to do the, uh, the great, you know, round the clock uh, coverage. Squeeze um, play. Yes. Yeah. It's awesome. Tell us about how crazy and fun that is and, how much coffee you need to go through in order to uh, to make that work, and it's just yeah. uh, just seems like it's like you're at a at a bar watching a game. Yeah, yeah, it would it would um it's so fun. It is so fun. You know, it used to be called bases loaded. Now we call it squeeze play. Um, the only downside was usually nobody they... wants that more though. So we we got to change that name, right? <laughs> That's a good point. That is a great point. Yeah. So. Um... You know, the only downside was the the table we you sit behind. Usually, it's you know it's it's you can't see through the table. So this year they put us in a studio where you could see through the table. And you know, like you're you're dressed, you're trying to dress comfortably. I'm wearing my New Balances and and Dockers, and and people are giving me a really hard time about that. But um, I'm certainly not wearing a full blown suit for no, you know no, for those that for, it's because yeah. it's it's long. But it is. Um, it is so cool. Olsh. It is. It, here's what it reminds me of when I was in my twenties and I'm the head coach at Malvern prep in the fall, all of our buddies are playing fantasy football and Sunday mornings. My, my good friend, Tim Kearns has a, a place over um, in that area near somewhat is, I guess, Collegeville, we'll call it called triple crown Academy. And, and so I would go do lessons on Sunday mornings. And then right after the lessons, we'd all go to Gators and Valley Forge and we watch the game the nfl games all day and and with our fantasy football teams and so that's what squeeze play is to me like yeah. the, the regional round is so awesome it's like the you know it's the prize from the regular season and i that's what it always feels like to me it's like we have every game up it's awesome i get to work with these incredible hosts matt chick and chris budden who are you know amazing and then we're just watching the games and we're just mic'd up you know so it's it's so fun. It's, um, you know, the regional round is, is a complete blast. And now it is, I will tell you that it, it's, it, these are long days, right? Like it's cause you know, the, the regionals are scheduled across three time yep. zones. Yep. And so, 
it's um you know you you asked how much Oh, say it again. 11 o'clock to what, two or three in the morning, usually, right? Yeah, it can be. Usually, though, at the end, at, at the end of the night, when the West Coast games kick off, we usually, once they get into the second or third inning, we usually uh, kill it at that point because there's no games to go back and forth from. But then right. that's where I, I, what I need to do is then go back to the hotel and go to bed. But I usually <laughs> stay up and watch that game because, right. you know, you're just, you're captivated you're by wired it. So. at that point, sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, but I they have an awesome cafeteria at ESPN, and so I'm probably like two to three Vinti iced coffees, and and we're we're good to go. It's 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 so fun. It is it is you know definitely my my favorite weekend of the year. And you've got a great appreciation of uh, Scott Hansen in the NFL Red Zone from, from too, right? <laughs> That's right. Every, yeah, every week for him, and and he can't take a break. You you can at least take a break, right? That's right. Yeah, he he goes solo, doesn't he? Or does he have yeah. some? Yeah, that's well, crazy. Yeah, most insane job in sports. That is nuts. Well, uh, again, here with Mike Rooney, uh, ESPN, um, D one baseball. You know, as, as I say, college baseball's premier analyst. Um, he can be as humble as he wants, but uh, crystal ball twenty twenty two. Any anything that comes to mind at this point? Yeah, I would say here's what here's something that's really interesting to me is if you looked at our freshman All American team for the position players last year, I mean it was breathtaking how much talent there was from position yeah. player standpoint and kids that came in. Like I'm thinking about Jacob Berry, who's now going to LSU. He transferred from Arizona LSU, but this kid comes in freshman, true freshman, switch hitter you know, hitting in the middle lineup for an Omaha team, 17 home runs, 70 RBIs. I mean, we hadn't seen true freshman hitters do that in a long time. And it, it, there were so many of them. Um, I think about Brock Wilkin at Wake Forest. And I mean, the list goes on and on. But I'll tell you where we were deficient last year in the freshman class. The pitching was not very good. And so I think that's what's that's what makes this year so fascinating to me is you start thinking about, OK, who's really got pitching? And, and I think the pandemic probably hurt pitchers more than anybody, meaning yeah. they just went out and built velocity, but didn't get any repetitions. Right. And so, you know, it college hitters, all hitters have proven to us over and over again that it doesn't matter how hard you throw if it's down the middle and an advantage counts. And so I think that's one of the things also that I, I'm really intrigued by in 2022 is I'm really intrigued to see who's got pitching because I think. I, it was we we don't have these like marquee names, not like we did last year with Rocker and Lighter and Ty Madden. And, you know, there were so many big time arms that were coming back last year. And so, you know, I, I, I probably always say this, but I do feel like this is not a year where Omaha is just going to be blue blood central. I feel like there's a lot of opportunity for a lot of teams. I, I don't see you know, these dominant teams out here, like we, like we, we had last year, but um, boy, it's going to be interesting. I don't know. That's, that's my favorite part of the fall is I feel like this is the time where you, the, the summer you, you get the draft and you start to say, okay, this team got crushed in the draft. This team did really well. So that kind of gets you, you, you geeked up. And then you get the fall ball. You start talking to coaches, you know, cause that's when, when the first round of bullets start flying and you start to figure out, okay, like who's adjusting to college, who's not, so uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited for fall ball. That's one of my favorite times of the year. We'll finish with uh, with this here one, and it might might not be the easiest. To, it's been probably a few years, but one great New Jersey baseball story that you can uh, 
think of from your days? Yeah, so I would say my favorite New Jersey baseball story. So when I was the head coach at Malvern Prep, we would always go play in the Bishop Eustace tournament. And it was a great tournament. Like it would be us and St. Joe Prep a lot of years. Millville, Mike Trout's Millville. Now I didn't get to coach against Mike Trout, but Millville would be in the tournament. And then Eustace and Eustace was, you know, Malvern has got a great program now, like a national program. And, and we were kind of on our way when I was there, but you know, Mike Hickey after me and then Freddie Hilliard. Now those guys Mm -hmm. just kept ratcheting it up. But back then it felt like us and Eustace would play in the finals all the time. And I'll, I'll never forget in, in 98, um, and, and Sam Trope on. I mean, they, they were just, they were so Trope, good. Trope was still coached back then too. I mean, yes. he's, that's, yeah. that's a, you know, one of the legendary Jersey figures himself. Oh, no question. He was so good. And they, they, you know, and you know, when you play a Jersey team now, like there's going to be, it's, there's going to be some volume, right? Like there's going to be some chipping at each other. And so in 98 at Malvern, we had a first round pick, Josh McKinley, our shortstop yep. went 11th overall, the Expos. Well, Eustace had a big time arm, Mark Sauer who I think yeah. was a really high pick, maybe a fourth rounder of the Marlins or something like that. And so he's pitching against us and, you know, it was really chippy and, you know, Josh had a big reputation. And so, um, you know, I'll never forget Josh, um, Josh hit a foul home run. Sauer then threw a ball behind him. And then two pitches later, Josh hits a ground rule double um, out onto whatever that highway is beyond Eustace's field and I mean, Sour and Josh, I mean, the chirping, it was electric. And so we, um, we, we always loved playing that tournament. We never, I never got to win it, but those guys after me had, have won it a few times, but, uh, that, that, whenever I think of New Jersey baseball, uh, that's one of my favorite memories. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, I, I, again, we're here with runes, Mike Rooney. Uh, thank you for, for your time today. We certainly appreciate it. And, uh, Hope to have you back sometime when we get a little closer to, to baseball season. Anytime. Oh, so this was super fun, and, and, and I love what you're doing here. This is really cool. Don't you know, pump it up. You got to pump it up. Don't you know, pump it up. You got to pump it up.